are listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is Horsepower with your host, Cameron Billis. You're listening to 88.9 WDBM Impact Sports. This is Horsepower. I'm your host, Cameron Billis. Alongside me, like always, my good friend Colin Jackson. Colin, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Enjoying this nice fall weather in Michigan today. Oh, yeah. Dropped below the 70s today for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, students walking around campus getting ready for that cold breeze, nice. lack of sunshine, maybe going to a cider mill once or twice. But, uh, you know, when fall comes around, that means professional basketball comes around. And that's what we're here to talk to you about. Big news for the Pistons recently was Greg Monroe. He's been in the news a couple times this past week. Some good, some bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll start with the bad. Uh, he recently was not charged, but a report came out saying that in February he was arrested for drunk driving and got a DUI. He blew a .09, which in Michigan, if you don't know, the legal limit is .08. And reportedly, while he was taking his DUI test uh, on the officer on the side of the road, he wet himself while yes. taking the test. So, you know, teammates are going to give him a hard time about that. But it kind of struck me odd that, one, this report just got released. Mm-hmm. Two, the fact that, you know, he's already been in, his name's in controversy over the fact that he didn't resign long term. Uh, a lot of people believe he's going to be gone after next season. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as he just signed his free agent tender. But what does this whole DUI news mean to you? Well, personally, I just don't think it's over just as simply as, oh, he was arrested last February before All-Star break, and, oh, two-game suspension is done. I just don't see that happening for a number of reasons. But primarily, uh, one of my biggest issues is just the time in between and the way it was kept secret. Uh, some reports cl- uh, claim that, in the station while being processed, he claimed, oh, I'm a piston. I'm just trying to stay out of the newspapers. And then, well, for the most part, that happened until the police footage, the dash cam footage actually got released. And supposedly uh, when he was first arrested, uh, he claimed that it was because of two glasses of wine. Well, the thing is, there was about an hour and a half elapsed time between actually getting pulled over and his field sobriety test in which he failed the, um, in which he failed the breathalyzer. So he's 250 pounds, 6'11". I'm not a doctor, but it seems to me like two glasses of wine should not keep you that drunk for that long, especially uh, if you're... Yeah, I, I no, a- absolutely not. I mean, you know, I, I to me it seems like now more than ever in all sports, you get players who are blessed with these God-given talents of athleticism, and they go and do stupid things like this. You got Greg Monroe, you have mm-hmm. Josh Gordon, who not only got caught smoking marijuana once but twice now you got ray rice who hit his wife and now could be done in the nfl forever unless someone you know is kind enough to give him a second chance but i don't see that happening anytime soon i'd like to know what goes through these players minds obviously you know i tend to think that they probably think that they're invincible and hey i'm a pro athlete i'm not gonna get caught but you know, sometimes you just think, wow, like you have to be really dumb to do something exactly. like that. And uh, Greg Monroe last season averaged 15.2 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game, and over 30 minutes per game. He's only 24 years old. And uh, for those who don't know, because of this DUI, he will be suspended for the first two games of the upcoming season. 
Now to the good news with Greg Monroe, as some might consider it good news. He's recently signed his free agent tender, which means that he will be back this upcoming season for one year, $5.5 million. Some people think that's good because they're not big Greg Monroe fans, Mm -hmm. and so he'll probably be gone after this next season. But what this means is that he is back, and he can only be traded to teams that he approves. That's part of the tender clause, I guess you could say. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Monroe will help this team reach, I think, what would be their goal of making the playoffs this year? Well, here's the th- here's how this latest news on Greg Monroe, at least the DUI, just going back to the bad news, I hate to ruin the happy sunshine. For it. It's just, to me, there's a lot of competition in Detroit amongst the big men. Van Gundy especially signed uh, some of his old big men that used to play for him in other places this uh, offseason. And they're, they're there for more of a mentorship role because other than Josh Smith, I believe the most of the team is below the age of 25, including Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond, who are mostly seen as the future of the team. And when you place uh, Greg Monroe in this one year, he really doesn't want to be in Detroit type attitude. It seems to me like that just doesn't give Detroit a lot of options, especially since this year it was supposed to be their year. Joe Dumars is out. Stan Van Gundy's in. He brought in all these new people. He refreshed the team, refreshed the front office, refreshed the coaching staff. And it just seems to me like this kind of hinders everything and keeps the team from growing. So I don't see what I don't know what the future is of Greg Monroe. But I know their other option is either keep Drummond Monroe or keep Drummond Josh Smith. And Stan Van does not really seem like he wants to keep Josh Smith. Even though he's promised he would, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of good options there. Well, that's the thing. You bring up a few interesting points. One is that there were a lot of questions going into the offseason as to what would happen with our quote-unquote big three of Smith, Monroe, and Drummond. Everyone, including myself, assumed that at least one of them would be gone because it just it didn't work. So that brings up the question when the season gets closer of does Monroe start and Smith comes off the bench with Karan Butler sliding into that starting small forward spot, or does Butler start at the three Josh Smith moves to the power forward spot and Monroe comes off the bench, or even you go back to that big three starting all at the same time. I don't know what exactly I would do. Mm -hmm. I tend to believe that Monroe starts, Butler's at small forward, and Josh Smith comes off the bench, but I don't see either one of those guys being happy in that six-man role. Um, You know, Some guys in the league embrace it, but these two characters seem like that's not something they'd want to do. Monroe's name, I think, was the hottest name for the Pistons this offseason as far as being in the news goes. You know, everyone kept asking, what's he going to do? Is he going to sign a tender? Are the Pistons going to re-sign him? A few reports came out that we offered him a few deals, and he turned those down, that supposedly he doesn't really want to be here. Uh, You know, other reports came out saying that some other teams were interested in Monroe, but nothing could get worked out. So there's a lot of questions up in the air with his future. Sometimes that can distract a player. Other times, for you know the really great players, that motivates them to play that much better when they're in their contract year so they can go out and make the most money possible. Uh, you know, I, that obviously has yet to be determined how Monroe's going to react, but I think in this season, he will help this team. Now, again, Van Gundy needs to figure out the best way to handle him, Smith, and Drummond. And that's a tall task that I don't 
know if any coach could figure that out. I think he has a better chance than someone like Maurice Cheeks did. But only time will tell what happens with that. But enough on Greg Monroe. Some other big news coming out of the Motor City was Chauncey Billups has decided to hang him up, call it a career, and it was a fantastic career for Mr. Big Shot. He played over 1,000 career games, played 17 seasons and for seven different teams. Seven of those seasons and two games of an eighth season were spent in Detroit. He played for the Pistons from 02 to 07 and in 2014. In all those games for the Pistons, he averaged slightly over 15 points per game, five and a half assists per game, shot 38% from three in 32 minutes per game, and in 480 games that he played for Detroit, he started in 468 of them. And those two games that I mentioned were uh, the two games he played for Detroit before he was traded to the Denver Nuggets for Allen Iverson. Quickly to go over some awards that he's won, he was the 2004 Finals MVP, All-NBA second team in 2006, All-NBA third team in 07 and 09, All-Defensive second team in 2005 and 2006, and the Twyman Stokes Teammate of the Year Award in 2013. You know, you could say a million great things about Chauncey Billups. What was his impact for you as being a Pistons fan, a basketball follower just outside mm-hmm. of his time in Detroit and just for basketball in general? Just as a fan alone, I don't think the Pistons franchise would have been what it was in the mid-2000s without Chauncey Billups. And when Chauncey Billups left for Den- or when he was traded away, it just seemed like that was the end of hope for the Pistons, to me at least, just as a fan thinking, okay, we still have some players from the championship team. And yeah, we still we we kept on the Tayshawn Prince or the organization t- kept on the Tayshawn Prince for a while, but it just didn't seem the same once Chauncey was away. You can remember like this is not even related to sports, but uh, in the sixth grade, the class pet was a hamster. His name was Chauncey. Just it pervaded life, you know. Oh yeah, and I mean his impact for this team was huge. And you go back to the 2004 team that won it all. That was arguably one of the greatest teams of all time. They didn't have a superstar like a Kobe Bryant or a Shaq or the guys who they beat on L.A. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and and it's not just what he did in Detroit. He went around, as I said, to a bunch of different teams, and you constantly hear guys like Chris Paul when he was on the Clippers for a short period of time said, oh, Chauncey's great. I've learned so much from him. And the impact that he had on not only fans like you and me and other players was just throughout his career was sensational. To go over some more of his stats real quick throughout his career, not just on the Pistons, he played on average more than 31 minutes a game, averaged 15.2 points per game, 5.5 assists per game, was an 89% free throw shooter. I think sometimes people forget how good and consistent he was at the free throw line, was a 39% three-point shooter. But not only was he great in the regular season, Colin, he was great in the postseason. He took it up another level. In 36 minutes per game, he averaged 17.5 points and and 5.5 assists. And not only do we recognize his talents, he was also recognized by the rest of the league and had an opportunity to play for Team USA in the World Basketball Championships in 2010. So with that being said, I ask you, what 
was your favorite Chauncey Billups moment? There's just so many of them. I don't even know. I'll be quite honest. I'll have to pass that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, many. to be honest, I would have the same <laughs> type of answer. It's I don't think you can categorize his legacy in one moment. It's what he did for Detroit basketball, mm-hmm. and that's the stage that we want to get back to. On you know, and off the court. Uh, yeah, exactly. And people thought last year when we brought him back, we were taking a step in that direction. Uh, he did not have the type of year the fans or himself wanted him to have. But, you know, he's still a leader. Some people think he'd make a great coach. He has said that he wants to go more into a manage- management role. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's only been a couple of days, so that has yet to happen. It will. That's inevitable. He will stay in basketball for a long time, whether that is through coaching, in the media, uh, or in in a manager spot. But you know, Chauncey, Mister Big Shot, the mayor, he's done it all. I think he deserved that. You know, whether we gave him a few minutes, he had articles all over the country giving him space in their newspapers or websites or blogs. That it, uh, giving him praise for the terrific career that he had. So thank you, Mr. Big Shot. Uh, the city of Detroit, <laughs> thanks you city for... Of, state of Michigan. The state of Michigan. <laughs> Pistons fans everywhere, Nuggets fans, T-Wolves fans, Celtics fans, mm-hmm. and all the other teams you played for. Thank you for your service to their team. Now, trending more into current Pistons news, let's recap what was a somewhat crazy offseason. Uh, yes. We'll start with... Their free agent moves. Big one was Jody Meeks. He signed for three years, $19 million. Meeks is coming off the best season of his career where he averaged 15.5 points per game and started in 70 games and played more than 30 minutes per night for the Los Angeles Lakers. Last season, Meeks shot 40% from the Ambiarc and is a career 38% three-point shooter. Colin, I ask you, one, does this seem like too much money for a guy who throughout his career only really seems to be a three-point shooter and has never spent that much time on the court? Or does this seem like a good risk that can pay off and look like a steal for Stan Van Gundy? Well, if you look at uh, Pistons' contract history, the team doesn't really spend that much money in the first place. So they have some money to move around and spend, especially since three-point shooting last year was definitely a huge thing that needed improvement. Uh, Josh Smith, he... We, he thought he could shoot. He couldn't shoot. Uh, Greg Monroe just pretty much took it to the hoop. Um, Rodney Stuckey took it to the hoop. He's no longer with the team, but I think improving three-point shooting is definitely something worth spending money on. Oh, no, I agree 100%, especially with Stan Van Gundy, who his system, if you don't know, is you get one big guy in the middle, which will be Drummond, and was Dwight Howard for him back in his time in Orlando, even spent some time with Shaquille O'Neal in Miami, and then you get everyone else kind of stepping outside to the perimeter, maybe one other guy coming inside, but normally you got four other guys on the court who can shoot, and the Pistons didn't have that. So Meeks comes in and is automatically their best three-point shooter, at least in game situations. I don't know what happens on the practice court. But, you know, three years, 19 mil for a guy who hasn't had that much in-game experience Aside from last season, does that seem like a lot? Because when I first read that, I'm like, wow, $19 million over three years for, for a three-point shooter? Now, I mean, I don't know. I think he can take his game to the next level. 
What what are your thoughts? I feel like we'd have to see where the season takes us. I feel like that has to be something that needs to be reassessed at least maybe by the time it gets to November, if not December, to decide where it actually goes because the Detroit Pistons have been burned before, obviously. In oh, Ben Gordon, Villanueva, <laughs> they've yeah, they've Everyone, they played this game before. The long the list goes on and on and on. Granted, this is Van Gundy's first chance to get burned, but that doesn't mean he won't get burned. And I'm just as a fan again, I really hope it doesn't happen. But as far as the money goes, yes, it is a crazy amount of money. But I do think it's worth it. And he's coming off his career season and hopefully he can only get better from here. He's only twenty seven years old. So he also adds a little bit of age and maturity to the roster too, which I mentioned it was mostly under twenty five. So with that being said, I feel like this could either pay off immensely for the Pistons or just bust it, bust the bank again. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up a good point. I'd also like to bring up, do you think the Pistons, you know, maybe slipped him four or five extra million just because we're in Detroit? How big of a factor do you think location plays, the fact that we haven't won in a long time, stuff like that? Oh, definitely. I feel like there needs to be some added benefit. Uh, some added, some added incentive for players to come here. It's not like oh, LeBron's considering coming back, coming to Detroit to play. It's not like Kevin Love. We were on like Kevin Love's short list this off season, or it's just we're Detroit right now. If we were go back maybe ten years, then definitely I feel like he would have got a little less money, just because we are Detroit. You know, mm-hmm. everyone wants who doesn't want to play here especially if you're not like a huge name but you're still a team player. So I do feel like there's some incentive structure that needed coming from a a big city, a big basketball city to come to Detroit. But at the same time, it's a good time to be here. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up LeBron. He is from Cleveland, so that was kind of the incentive to go back Mm -hmm. to his hometown. We'll talk about that in a little bit because I want to get your take on the new look to Cleveland Cavaliers. But uh, real quick on Meeks, in six games – against Indiana, Cleveland, Chicago, and Milwaukee, which are the other teams in the Pistons division. Meeks averaged 15 points per game and 38 minutes per game, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on this upcoming season. Uh, Also for the Pistons, in one night they made two big moves, signing point guard DJ Augustine to a two-year $6 million deal and Karam Butler to a one-year $4.5 million deal. To fill you in on those Guys, real quick, Augustine averaged 14.9 points per game, five assists per game, and shot 42% uh, from the field, 41% from three, and just over 30 minutes per game last season. For his career, he averages slightly over 10 points per game, four assists per game, and shoots 37% from three in 25 minutes per game. So last year was a career year for Augustine. Spent a little bit of time with the Raptors, but spent most of his season with the Bulls. He's a seasoned vet, uh, had a great college career at Texas. You think he's going to come in, kind of replace Will Bynum as the backup point guard, point guard, excuse me, filling in for Brandon Jennings off the bench. Thoughts on Augustine? Do you think just a move to fill a bench spot? Think he actually yeah. makes an impact? See, I really don't. I thought Will Bynum, although he wasn't as good as he could have been, I thought he was doing a solid job. I'm, I'm almost reluctant to say that. But I do feel like he's just adding a little more depth to the position. But DJ, DJ Augustine, I feel, I just think that working with Brandon Jennings, he may even add a little bit of competition there, which will probably inspire Brandon Jennings to do a little bit better. 
uh, kind of like how Caldwell Pope, he knew that people are coming to replace him. He's doing well. He did well in the summer league. Maybe that could be some of the motivation for DJ Augustine. But as far as having huge, huge, huge impact, I don't see it. See, I, I think he's going to have a terrific year for the Pistons. I think he's the type of guy who he comes in and you know what you're going to get. Will Bynum, to me, was always a huge question mark. Was this the year he finally broke out? I mean, he was so, he's so quick and is great at getting to the hoop, but his jump shot's not consistent. It seemed as if when Will Bynum stepped into the game, other guys kind of stopped playing because they knew that it was just the Will Bynum show. Kind of just him and Drummond, pick and rolls, Bynum taking it to the hoop, alley-oop, stuff like that. I think Augustine will do a better job of getting other players involved. He can shoot better. He's been on winning teams around the league, and I think that is the biggest thing, is that he knows what it takes to win. He was, Again, he was on the Bulls last year. That's a successful team. Tom Thibodeau is probably the best defensive coach in basketball, so Augustine must have learned a thing or two while he was there, or else he wouldn't have been on the floor, because Thibodeau doesn't throw out guys who don't play defense. So I definitely think Augustine will rise the expectations of point guards here in Detroit. Now let's get to Karan Butler. Like I said, signed for one year, four and a half mil. Butler, again, like Augustine, has played for several teams over the course of his career. Uh, He's been in the league for 12 years. He's played for seven teams, including two stints in Washington and Dallas. In 13 games for the Milwaukee Bucks last year starting, he averaged 15 points and six rebounds per game in in over 31 minutes per game. In his 22 regular season games for Oklahoma City, he was traded from the Bucks to the Thunder. Uh, or excuse me, he was not traded. He was released by Milwaukee and signed with Oklahoma City. In those games with the Thunder, Butler shot 44% from three, averaged just under 10 points per game, and helped the Thunder produce a record of 14-8. and eight. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you watched Kevin Durant's press conference or kind of followed the Thunder news, but Durant spoke very highly of Butler during his time on Oklahoma City, and I think that alone will make a huge impact on this team. Exactly. I, once again, I keep I hate to keep going back to this point, but age and experience on a winning team really will help a lot in changing the atmosphere in Detroit right now because these are just young guys. All they know is losing, coming into the losing team, thinking, oh, I'm the new hope, and then we lose some more. It's, it's demoralizing, but... With someone especially that's had experience playing with Kevin Durant, playing with the best of the best, uh, playing on uh, the Clippers, playing even Miami back in the day, mm-hmm. it definitely helps the team improve immensely. Now, it'll be important for him to stay healthy, obviously, but you know I see him as a starter. Do you, do you feel the same way? Uh, it depends on how... I still feel like the Detroit starting roster is still up in the air, even to even to this day. Other than Drummond, it could still be decided, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he'll compete with Singler, I think, for the three spot. I don't think Pope is big enough to defend other threes. I know he is a great defender, but I see Contavious Caldwell mm-hmm. Pope more as a shooting guard. So for me, it's between Singler and Butler and maybe Josh Smith for the starting small forward spots, but... You know, he's got the experience, he's a great leader, will be great for our locker room, and you know, I, I I even forgot about that for a second. Let's take a moment to talk about how 
for lack of a better word, bad the Pistons locker room has been over the year. You, you've had several coaches, several feuds between the players and the coaches, both with Custer and uh, Lawrence Frank, mainly led by guys like Stucky. I know Tracy McGrady, mm-hmm. Rip Hamilton was involved in a lot of those. Those guys aren't here anymore. So you get rid of the bad, bring in new better leaders, and I think all around Van Gundy made a great move here signing Butler. Two smaller names that Van Gundy brought in, Aaron Gray on a multi-year deal, could mean anywhere from two years up, that was never really released, uh, you know, not going to have much of an impact, kind of replaces Josh Harrelson at the end of the bench, his career numbers, he averaged, averages three and a half points per game, three and a half rebounds per game, and Cartier Martin, Two years with second year being a player option is what he signed for. He averages five and a half points per game, but is a 38% three-point shooter. So he won't see a ton of minutes, but he will come in, uh, fill in for the two or the three, where Pistons need some three-point shooting. So, you know, guys to kind of fill in at the end of the bench. Not a ton to say. What was the best signing? Who was the worst signing? What are your thoughts? As far as the best signing goes... I think it's between Meeks and Karam Butler just because that's where you really get the people that have played for Van Gundy before. Uh, they're comfortable with the system. They defend well. Well, Augustine defends well too, I think. But especially with Karam Butler, a potential starter like you mentioned earlier, that's what's really going to make a huge difference in the team in my opinion, especially not just to mention not only athletic ability, but in the locker room, better leaders, a better role. Uh, more experience, it it's unquantifiable how much it can help the team, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you need guys in the locker room who know what it takes to win, who've either won a championship or been to a championship game. And the Pistons have gone a few years without, you know, that great leader, a guy who's going to keep his mouth shut for the most part, just go to the gym, put in mm-hmm. all the work that it takes to succeed. And I think, you know, Butler and and Augustine will will really help with that. Uh, now going to the World Cup of basketball, the United States faced off against Lithuania most recently and won ninety six to sixty eight. So they will advance to the World Cup finals and will face the winner of France or Serbia, or will face the winner of France and mm-hmm. Serbia. Uh, real quick, the United States moved to 8-0 with their win against Lithuania. They have scored over 700 points, and no other team has scored over 600. They have just been destroying teams. Yeah, my favorite is uh, ESPN Street for the Cash. I believe the one for the other day was U.S. wins by 25 or more versus any other outcome. I think the I think I picked the 25 or more, so... It's just been incredible. Yeah, the ta- again, what did you expect? It's the United States. Yeah, the the talent that the United States basketball team has now is unbelievable. And this is without Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Paul Kevin George. Love, Paul George, as he got hurt early on. So, you know, it's it's crazy to think that just a few years ago, the United States wasn't able to win gold medals consistently and that they had to bring in that elite talent in order to do it for the Olympics. It's just it's it's crazy mm-hmm. to me. Uh Andre Drummond, the piston, 
made the USA squad. Hasn't gotten much of an opportunity to showcase his talents, but I still think it's a great experience for him. That's something that can motivate him in the future to make Olympic teams, future World Cup teams. It, I think, kind of puts it in his mind that he is one of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you need. You need confidence from your center, especially one as young as Drummond is in a program that probably hasn't done much for his confidence as a player. Yeah, I mean, he he just turned 21 a few weeks ago. He is only entering his third season in the NBA. His numbers the past two years have been outstanding. Now you have a coach in Van Gundy who has worked with tremendous big men before, like we said, with Dwight Howard and Shaquille O'Neal. So he'll be able to teach him great things that no other Pistons coach has ever been able to teach him before. So I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season for Andre Drummond. Now to some other news just in the NBA, the Atlanta Hawks owner is being or has decided to sell the team due to recent racist remarks. Kind of want to get your take on this. How does it really compare to the whole Donald Sterling saga? Uh well, at least it didn't draw on as long as the Donald Sterling saga did. I believe that's actually still in litigation in the court whether or not the NBA can force him to and that issue. So, as far as being forced to sell the team after selling after some racist remarks. Um, on one hand, freedom of speech. The other hand, you really have to watch what you say as a public figure. You own a basketball team. You have people that play for you. You have to respect your employees. You have children that look up to this organization. It, You really can't hold on to the team after saying comments that's offensive. Yeah, and I mean, these were comments that were written in an email. I believe several years ago talking about potential ways that they thought that they could improve the Hawks fan base. You know, it's crazy. You Again, to bring back Ray Rice, when TMZ had this video of him hitting his wife, you get someone finding these emails from, you know, long periods ago, the Donald Sterling thing was just a voice recording that someone sent to TMZ. Mm-hmm. It's one thing when you hear about these stories and you hear, oh, you know, an NFL athlete hit their wife, uh, owner in the NBA is racist. But when you see what they wrote or you see the actions that they did, it brings it to a whole nother level. Exactly. And I think the biggest example of that is the Ray Rice video. Because before we saw the video from outside the elevator in which they got in and then she's knocked out cold, they get out. And to me, when, those, when the inside the elevator footage was released, my first response was, so... You knew this happened, you just didn't see it, so where does, why does it make a difference? Why is, oh, seeing them, seeing her be passed out, is where it's a two-game suspension. Meanwhile, after actually seeing him knock her out, as disgusting as that was, why is that such a surprise to everyone, in my opinion? Why is that just now, oh, he knocked her out, let's give him an indefinite suspension, let's even ban him from playing in Canada. Why didn't this happen in the first place if this was going to happen? Because it was clear what the results were. Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that. And even Greg Monroe with his DUI, that was held out from Mm -hmm. the public for a long time. And then video evidence surfaced recently. Uh, I will say, though, that I thought it was, I don't know, about a decent gesture, but interesting to see that the Hawks owner decided to sell the team on his own, isn't going to court. It just, he... Mm -hmm initiated the the sale, not the NBA forcing it upon him. Uh, Paul George 
has been in the news. Uh, earlier, he had a scary break in his leg, Kevin Warish from Louisville. But now the news also isn't so good. Um, he made some comments regarding Rice that were rather inappropriate about how, you know, maybe Rice should defend himself. I'm not going to really get into it. But I'd like to hear, do you think the league should take action? On Ray Rice or on Paul on, George? On Paul George. On Paul George. I feel like Paul George, he should have the common sense to censor himself a little bit more. But as far as it being a league issue, I see it as, I don't see it as a league issue. Or if they do take action, I don't know, maybe a fine. People get fined all the time for saying some disparaging remarks. Mm-hmm. But he's already out for the season because of his leg injury. So I don't see anything else the league really can do besides a fine and maybe censorship, something like a slap on the wrist. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think he knows what he said was inappropriate. He deleted a lot of his comments off Twitter. The Pacers ownership and management, Larry Bird has talked to him, told him that's not how the Pacers feel. It was highly inappropriate. You know, you think athletes would be smart enough to maybe hire a PR guy. Mm-hmm. Have I mean, I know there's something about running your own Twitter, I guess, but maybe make like an alias account that's a completely different name. I don't know. But you think guys would be smart enough to kind of censor what they say. Especially the extensive media training they receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's a constant problem. And I think, yeah, like you said, there's one thing, it's one thing to express your opinion it's another to do so inappropriately. There's some things you just need to say, like, maybe that's how I feel. Maybe that's what I'll tell my inner circle. Mm-hmm. But the whole world doesn't need to know it. So that's what I'd like to say about that. Moving on, article came out uh, from the Free Press talking about how Detroit Mayor Mike Dugan was on a Sports Illustrated Now podcast saying he hopes to make or he hopes that the Pistons will start playing in downtown Detroit as compared to Auburn Hills, where they currently play at the Palace of Auburn Hills. You think that, one, do you think it will happen? Two, do you think it should happen? And three, is it the best thing for the fans and the team? Well, A, one, personally, I think it probably will happen. Whether it's while Mike Dugan is still mayor of Detroit, that remains to be determined. I see this as a down-the-road stretch, uh, whether it should happen. Also, if you're going to call yourselves the, the, the Detroit Pistons, Detroit basketball, you need to be in Detroit. And Auburn Hills, It's I've, the Palace is a great location. It's a great arena, but if the Lions can play downtown, if the Red Wings can play downtown, if the Tigers play downtown, why not bring the Pistons downtown? It's a nice district. It's great for the revitalization of the city. I feel like it will be a great thing if the Pistons were to play downtown. Yeah, a few interesting points off that. The Pistons are one of two teams in the NBA not playing in their state's kind of central downtown area. Uh, I don't know who the other team is. But also, the Red Wings are in the process of building a new stadium that Mike Illich, the owner of the Wings and the Tigers, is primarily funding. There's been talks that maybe the Pistons would join in on that stadium. Mike Dugan said he hopes that this happens by the time his term runs out, which is 
in the next three years by 2017. I think that's also the goal date for the new Wings Arena to open. Obviously, a lot can happen between now mm-hmm. and then. But I agree. I think it's I think it's inevitable that the Pistons at some point will move downtown. I know that they this past offseason they put in, I think it was $40 million for a new high-definition monitor. So they're still doing things to improve their current arena, but in the long run, I just don't see them lasting in Auburn Hills, just like the Lions moved from the Silver Mm -hmm. Dome in Pontiac to Ford Field in Detroit. So I think it'll happen sooner rather than later. That's up in the air. But I'd say within the next 10 years, the Pistons will be in Detroit. Uh, Wrapping it up here, here on the Horsepower, Cameron Billis with Colin Jackson on 88.9. WDBM categorized the offseason for me. Was it a success? Was it adequate? Was it a failure? The offseason? I would say was a success. I really do. You want to revitalize the team, you did it. And that's what's really important. I'm between success and adequate. I think that we made some moves that definitely are helping us go in the right direction. What's holding me back from saying a complete success is I don't know how fast those moves are going to help us succeed. I don't know if we're playoff bound for next year. I could see us definitely, you know, falling in that 9 to 11 seat again. So I think within the next three years, we'll be back, hopefully within this upcoming season. But, you know, a lot of time left before basketball starts. Season opener is October 29th at Denver. That'll be without Greg Monroe. Make sure for all your MSU sports news, Detroit sports news, you check out impact89fm.org backslash sports. This is Horsepower. I'm Cameron Billis. That's Colin Jackson. Thanks for listening. Good night.